Welcome to the Ravens Nevermind, a conversation about, or a podcast, either one, about music, movies, books, any form of entertainment. I'm Kim. And I'm John. And today we're going to talk about the resurgence of vinyl, or as all you little young kids call records, or old people. I guess you would call them more of a record than a vinyl. Would you not, John? Oh yeah, vinyl's, uh, uh, vinyl's definitely a, a, a new term. Yeah, a hipster term. Whatever category they fall in. Well, it's true. If you go through any store, Walmart, Target, wherever, you're going to see a record. Uh, And they're just like, what was the newest one that just came out? I saw Um, Harry Styles just came out with his newest album on vinyl. You can't even, you can still find some CDs. But it's more records. Now, I don't know if it's because of a nostalgic reason that they've come back. Or it's just a hipster thing. It's so cool to own a record. Now, there's some who just buy them as collector's items. And there are some that actually do own record players and listen to them. But do you think there was a need for the record to come back? Well, I'll tell you what I think is I think one of the um, primary motivations for uh, vinyl making a comeback is probably a lot of older people talking about um, the warmth of the sound, the feel of the sound. Because there's, um, you, you do not have the clarity that you get with uh, a, a digital copy of a song but on the vinyl, you and it's kind of hard to explain um, if you haven't actually listened to a record yeah. because listening to it, um, it, it, it's it, it's the audio feel of the thing. Yeah, uh, for me, a record has like a um, low white noise quality right underneath the music. You have that like real it's. If you're listening for it, you'll hear it, but it does, like you say, make a warmer sound, a more living sound. Like, you, it's a, a visceral sound to it. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, I know everybody tries to explain it, um, but, but there is a noticeable difference there. And I can tell you that when I listen to, um, you know, MP3s or I'm listening to something... Um, that that's digital um you can hear things clearer and there's probably some things there that maybe you weren't you weren't meant to hear because of the way it was done in a mix or whatever um but it definitely has a more a more sterile sound to it yeah it it does um very crystal clear like a very uh clean sheet of glass you can see straight through it, and there's nothing impeding it. But with a record or a vinyl, it kind of has spots on it. Or it looks like an old piece of glass that's wavy, that you're not getting the clear picture. So you might miss a word here or there. Yeah, and, and you know, you also get the, uh, uh, the snap, crackle, pop of the needle going over the record. Uh, if you don't pay attention to when it ends, you get to bump, bump, bump at the end. <laughs> Um, you know, sometimes it'll skip, although it's not a good thing. Um, 
and, and it's just, you know, I, I've had the leftover uh, albums and, and 45s in, in my record collection. And a few years back, my wife and kids got me one of the uh, uh, record players for uh, Christmas. And it, it's been uh, enjoyable to go back and listen to um, some of the old records, uh, you know, both the albums and, and the 45s. Um, just to listen to stuff that I haven't listened to in, in years because I didn't have a record player. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, it's interesting because I actually wanted the one that would take the record player and convert it to MP3. Um, and I didn't get that one. And I'm going to say I'm not disappointed because there's just some things that you need to listen. You need to have the final and you need to listen to it that way. Yeah. Now, I I know that there are some... Uh, I guess bands who sometimes do what's called rotoscoping, or I think that's about what it, I'm probably so wrong on this, but they make it sound like it's a record, but it's actually digital. So they try to get that, you know, that scratchiness to make it sound like it's from a vinyl, but then they'll come straight into something digital. Like it's going from, Hey, this is old, like, music videos that start out in black and white and then they jump into color. So it's, they rotoscoped it for the beginning, but then they jumped it straight into digital. And huh. then at the very end, they go back to the, uh, vinyl sound. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really haven't paid attention to, uh, to a lot of that when the, uh, when I first started seeing, uh, Final coming back in the stores, I kind of chuckled, um, and I was thinking, okay, let let's see uh, what they're bringing back because some of the first uh, albums that they brought back um, were remasters uh, and repressings of um, some of the bigger hit albums. Yeah. And when I saw the prices on them, I just started chuckling because I was like, well, that, that's some serious money. Um, <laughs> most of most of the ones I saw were like 35 and $40 a piece. Oh, probably more. Some are more because of their limited edition or their um, exclusive to one store. Like I work at Target. So there are Target exclusives. Now that's not just for vinyl or out music, movies will do that as well, that there's exclusives for Walmart or Target or Barnes & Noble or wherever. So there are collectors of certain bands and artists that will go specifically for that vinyl because it's a, a quote, collector's thing, which is hilarious in my mind that people think, oh, I'm going to go out and buy this vinyl it's going to be worth more. Um, no, it's going to be worth what you paid for it. Maybe your grandchildren, if it's in immaculate condition and there's still record players, might be able to get something for it, but you're going to get what you paid for it. This is for your personal enjoyment. It can't be for resale. Well, and the thing is, is like you said, if, if a, a vinyl record or single is going to have any value... Um, it's going to depend on, uh, the condition. Yeah. It's also going to depend on, um, having the, 
original cover, sleeve, any, any inserts that came with the thing. I have a friend that uh, over the years uh, when he was buying albums and uh, we got together because we were both Beatles fans. What he did is he owned two of every Beatles album that was released. One to collect and one to listen to. One was never unwrapped and the other was played. Um, a good friend of mine passed away over a year ago and he, um, when he was in college, he was a DJ at the college radio station. And I went up to his house to help his wife go through his record collection, which was in the hundreds. And all of them were played. There was very few, if any, that were set aside still in the original, uh, the, the original wrapper. But all of the albums had the original sleeves, the original inserts. And the one thing that I learned, because um, I was trying to help do some pricing and stuff because she was just going to give them away. And I said, you know what, you may have a small fortune here depending on the quality of the stuff. But there are uh, record valuation sites out there. And what I didn't realize is when you take a look at, and I'm, I'm sure this is even on the, the the newer albums, but when you take a look at albums that your that your parents or you personally may have had from decades ago, there are etchings on the vinyl itself that will that detail where the release happened at. Mm-hmm. Was it a repress? Was it original? Because you would be amazed at how many. Um, how many albums were actually had to be repressed because of sales and stuff. Yeah. They're not all part of the original release. And I, I found that kind of interesting because the one that I took a look at, uh, the album ended up being worth, well, actually it was one of mine I took a look at because I just wanted to play with and see what I can find. I have uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Four-Way Street. And... Um, Found out that mine was actually released through a, a, a record club. And uh, yeah. I, I don't know if ever, ever anybody out there remembers a Columbia House where you can get like uh, 10,000 albums for like a penny if you, uh, yeah. you know, bought them, bought uh, another 12 at full price once a month over the next year. Uh, but mine was released to the record club. And instead of being worth maybe $60, $70, it's worth like five bucks. Yeah. So, you know, you're right. If you're going out there and buying vinyl now at $35, $40, $70, um, you're not buying anything that's going to have – it may have that value only because if anybody else is going to go buy it, that's what they're going to pay at the store. So they can either choose to pay you – Or get a brand new copy. Or get a brand new copy, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's like that with books too. If it's not a immaculate – in immaculate condition, a first run – first edition, meaning it's the first books date that came off the line and hadn't really, really been edited, they're not worth a lot. They're worth, you know, now of course a the I can't remember how much a the whole series of Harry Potter that were first run first editions went, which was exorbitant amount because they were, you know, practically they looked brand new. But it's just like with the sleeves on the records, the collectors want those things to look brand new. They don't want something that has like the corners are worn or there might be a hairline scratch in the record itself. It, they want it to be perfect. Well, and it's it's funny that you said that because um, 
not only do I have a uh, you know leftover collection of the albums and the singles that I had over the years, and all my singles, none of them uh, are in the original sleeves, but I I do have uh, first release Beatles 45s from back in the 60s. Um, I've I've got records that, are, that 45s are even older than that, but none of them are in the original sleeves. They're scratched. The labels are worn. So as far as being worth anything. It's probably one of those things that uh, um, the older that they're in existence and playable, regardless of whether it has the original sleeves or not, will probably make them worth something more just because uh, there's not many left. But but the interesting thing is is where I where I was going with this is what you said about the books. Um, I've also collected comic books over the years, and I thought that I, I quit collecting in the early '80s. That's where I have a bunch of my comic books from. So I went to value some of the stuff that I had. And it was really funny because um, when I took some over to our local comic book store, their comment was, well, you've read them. Yeah. And I'm like, so? Yeah, that's the point of buying a comic book. Yeah. (laughs) But apparently if you're going to collect comic books for the sake of money, uh, you basically put them in some sort of sleeve that's going to help protect them and you lock them away in some sort of um, uh, climate controlled room and come back in a century and, uh, you know, they'll probably yeah. be worth something. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But I can also see to the point where you have a favorite artist, like my favorite band is R.E.M. Now, if I wanted to start collecting their vinyls, it would be worth more to me to have those copies of that, those albums on vinyl than it would be monetary. You know, I wasn't wouldn't be buying them to resell them. I would be buying them to own them because it's my favorite band. Like you, you would you would go out and buy a repressing of Sgt. Pepper's or the White Album. Because you're a fan of them and you're collecting them. Right. And, and the thing is, is what you're getting, um, you know, you may or may not be getting something from the original audio tapes. Because yeah. let's face it, stuff that was recorded back in the 60s, uh, magnetic tape wears out. Yeah. So you're getting a repressing of probably a repressing and repressing. But the thing is, you're getting it um because of what it means to you, not because you're looking for uh, monetary value at that point in time. And the same thing with comic books and books and different things like that. Um, one thing that I found was, um, oh, I, I found it was interesting is um, you, you'll hear us talking about records. You'll hear us mentioning the terms uh, uh, albums, uh, 45s. And uh, what's that, Grandpa? I don't well, know what that is. Well, on on Sirius XM, uh, they have a classic vinyl station, and sometimes they'll have callers call in and they'll talk about uh, uh, younger callers, and they'll talk about uh, listening to albums with their uh, grandparents the, or, or their moms and dads. Yeah. And and I'm listening to this one young man. He's talking about listening to his mom's thirty three and a thirds, and I'm going. Nobody calls them 33 and a third. <laughs> because when you listen to like, 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 typically we would call 45 singles. Yeah. But the reason they're called 45s is because they play at 45 revolutions per minute. And yeah. that's what gives you the, the, the sound. Uh, LPs are long play 
which are albums, um, 33 and a third revolutions per minute. And then some of the older records, you'll hear them called 78s because that's yeah. the revolutions per minute. Um, you know, and interestingly enough, there were EPs even yep. then, um, which would not be album length, um, but they would they would still run at 33 and a third because they would have yeah. extended stuff on them. But so if you hear the terms, you'll hear. So if you're LP or album, um, you know, you're talking, uh, you know, long term, like what you would typically get with a CD. Yeah. Uh, a 45 or a single. Uh, you're going to get a song on each side. And the 78 is probably, well, I know that was my grandparents' territory and even my own parents when they were younger. Um, and, and the reason, you know, like with the singles, because what a lot of people don't realize is you basically had an A side and a B side. And the A side was was a hit side, and, and the B side was just something that they would throw out there. Either yeah. somebody else, uh, you know, one of the other members of the group had a song that they wrote or... Um, you just threw something out there that was going to, that was going to be on the, it was going to be on the backside. It, yeah. it didn't mean anything. Um, but then you did have some acts that when they released a, a, a single, both sides basically hit the charts. But, um, you know, and I, I know I'm being a little bit long winded on this one, but it's kind of interesting since I've kind of grown up more with, with records and albums and singles than anything else. Um, but you, you typically, um, w- with the singles and stuff, especially back in the 60s and 70s, most of them had like a three-minute time limit yeah. because of radio airplay. Yeah, but no, not today. That's, you know, uh, there, are, there are songs like R.E.M.'s Losing My Religion. That song's over six minutes long. Oh, that's nothing. Yeah, it's, and like um, Tool, some of their songs are like 10 minutes long you still wouldn't hear them on the radio they'd be edited to save time but they still would be really long but uh, i pulled out uh and i I don't know i'm sure people listen to classic rock this will ring a bell grand funk railroad um i have the mark don and mel album uh double album and there's 17, 20 minute songs on the album. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorites, I've always threatened to go into uh, a local restaurant, local bar that had Inagata DeVita on their jukebox and put a few bucks in and play it like three times in a row because a full blown version of Inagata DeVita was over 20 minutes. So for a whole well, hour, you could listen to the same song. Oh, hey, Jude from oh, the Beatles. Oh, oh, oh. That thing can go on forever. Well, and that basically was the first song that broke the three-minute limit. I think that came in at something like seven minutes. Yeah. Um, You know, so there's... And basically, it was because they can get more songs on. And that was the the whole trick to the thing. Now, I grew up uh, in Erie, Pennsylvania. And at the time I was growing up, AM stations were basically the main stations because they had the most power... Um, they had to clear a sound. There was only mono. You didn't have a lot of stereo like you have uh, now, FM stereo, AM stereo. There, It was just mono. You, yeah. you had one It was one, not one high sound. fidelity. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, is they played 
the same songs over and over and over. So when you heard the terms top 40, that's that's pretty much what they played. You had the same 40 songs being rotated through, and that's how you got your hits and stuff like that. FM stations at the time were uh, basically album stations or head stations. This is where you take your album and you put it on and play the whole side. A disc jockey may not even say anything while the whole side of the album's playing. And we had a station up in Erie where it was owned by an older gentleman and he would play albums. And uh, apparently the studio was in his kitchen and there would be times where he would fall asleep and he'd be live on the radio snoring and you would hear the the album side clicking because it was at the end of the album going click, 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 click. The sad thing was is when the gentleman eventually passed away, um, his children, I believe, sold the rights to the radio station for over a million dollars. And and it became a, a huge radio station in the Erie area. So you, you do have, um, uh, you know, some funny stories with, uh, you know, uh, albums, vinyl, 45s, radio stations. So it, it kind of all uh, rolls together. But it, it's fun to see the comeback because... Um, it, it, it's just a good, sweet, warm sound to listen to. Yeah. So um, being as our last couple episodes ran a little longer than usual, we're going to make this one a shorter one. So, John, real quick, do you think rec- uh, records slash vinyl should come back? I don't have a problem with it. I think um, uh, I, I would not find myself running out and spending $40 for an album because I kind of own all the albums I really would like to have. Um, I think um, for the people that, that want to enjoy vinyl and want to hear the sound difference and can really enjoy that, yeah. You know, if you have the money, go ahead and get it. Um, go buy some of the classic albums that, that uh, you know, made their first appearance in the world on vinyl and um yeah it's a great thing it's a great sound well it also the resurgence or the popularity of vinyl going up is it helps out the local record stores and all the geeks who uh populate those i mean you can go into one of those and find uh not an original version of your favorite album but a very old version to put in your collection so you're helping out a hometown store when you do that like you, if you want to go out and spend money on a record, do that. If you have it. I personally, I do own some vinyl. A couple of them were gifts for Christmas. But I get all my music from digital. <laughs> from Apple Music, actually. And I'll sometimes listen to the radio, but I usually get all my music from a download. It's easier for me it's on my phone it comes in my pocket i mean i can't put a record in my back pocket well i could but that'd be a really really big pocket and the record player would kind of get a little heavy at times carrying around but if you like to collect vinyl do you if you like the sound that's great do what makes you happy i have no problem with them so We're going to wrap this up and talk to you next time.